Our Father who sits enthroned above the heavens, will you please now speak? Father, shape our hearts, teach us to love your truth, and teach us to live faithfully as followers of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, gifts were quite a big thing in my household growing up, at least from my immediate family at birthday and Christmas time, we got presents and they were important. Um, but from my extended family, uh, my aunts and uncles and grandparents, it was a bit more of a hit and miss affair. Um, they lived a long way away from where I grew up, um, kind of 800 kilometres plus uh, in distance from where I was. And so only very occasionally did I get gifts or presents from one of my more distant relatives. But I do remember one particular year, uh, I think I was in kind of that tween period, and I received a box in the mail that looked promising. Uh, it was big enough to kind of be something kind of worth unwrapping. And I remember the anticipation of the unwrapping and then of opening the box and finding to my great, well, not quite sure what the word is, um, a smoky plastic desk organiser. Um, I did wonder whether my aunt was particularly in touch with my tween sensibilities uh, and what good you could put this thing to. I longed to love that thing and I tried to put it on my desk and put paper clips in it because there seemed to be a receptacle there that was kind of roughly the right size for paper clips. But to put it mildly, it was somewhat of a disappointment. So I wonder if you've ever had that feeling of having gifts with which you were disappointed. Or watching on while your siblings received gifts and feeling a certain sense of envy about the gifts that they got and you didn't get. Because I think college is actually a place where watching on the gifts of others can be a very uncomfortable place for us, can't it? I think college is a place full of very, very gifted people. Certainly for me on mission this year, I saw people who door knocked better than I can. I saw people who persevered in talking to difficult people better than I can. I saw people who were much better at kids and youth ministry than I am. And I saw people who preached better sermons than I can preach. So let me ask you the question, how do you feel about the gifts that God has given you? And how do you feel about the gifts and capacities that God has given to the people around about you, the people that you live amongst and work beside? Are you ever tempted towards envy? Or alternatively, and just as unhappily, are you ever tempted towards pride? And the sense that actually maybe, yeah, God did do quite a good job when he chose to give you what he gave you. I think in our passage this morning, Paul wants us to take a spiritual look at the nature of giftedness, and he wants us to delight in the goodness of God in gifting all. It's a super helpful perspective, although slightly challenging for sinful hearts. So if you don't have it open, turn 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11 in front of you, and I want to look at that passage with you. Um, we, we've come today uh, in our series in 1 Corinthians to a point where Paul changes topic once again. Um, this next three chapters, from chapter 12 to chapter 14, are going to be all about spiritual things and about giftedness. But even as he starts, Paul reminds you that it's not just out of the blue, because even here... All of the idolatry that he spoke about in chapters 8 to 10 still bears its mark. The way that we relate to God and his world is affected by all of our history with idolatry. Chapter, one, sorry, chapter 12 and verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
Now, we'll come back to the significance of that in just a moment. But Paul is saying, as he goes on to speak, he's picking up something that he's been talking about before and then bringing it to application in a new space. But what exactly is it that Paul wants to talk to us about? Most of your translations in verse 1 will read something like, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts. Uh, The only problem is that the word gifts is not actually there in verse 1. The giftedness language doesn't begin until verse 4. Now, our translators have made kind of a good decision at one level. They know that Paul's going to take a lot about gifts, and so maybe he's already speaking about gifts here. But I think that when Paul uses the word spiritual to speak about spiritual things, he's got a bigger canvas in mind, because this whole section is about more than just gifts. See, flip down to verse 28 with me for a moment. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Etc. Etc. Although he begins talking about giftedness, by the end of the chapter he's talking about people. And in chapter 13, which is actually the crown of these sections, it's got almost nothing to do with giftedness whatsoever and is all to do with love and the work of God's Spirit. It seems to me that Paul is speaking in this section not just about gifts, but gifts are a particular little bit of a much bigger thing, which is about what it looks like to be spiritual. Paul wants to persuade us what it looks like to possess the Spirit of God and to live out a truly spiritual life under Christ. And interestingly, before he says anything about gifts, he says two things are essential if you're going to grasp spirituality properly. The first is you need to understand how much you've been impacted by idolatry. And the second thing is you need to understand how closely the work of the Spirit is connected to the work of Christ. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, firstly, the first thing you need to understand is that you need to remember before you came to Jesus, you were actually led astray to idols. Idolatry in Paul's world is fundamentally something that leads you away from the one and true God. You see, what is idolatry? Essentially, idolatry is the giving over, the sacrificing, the manipulating of as many deities as possible normally in order that you might find the right one that does the right thing for you in the right moment just when you will need it. Idolatry in Paul's world was not about just one idol, but it was about worshipping as many different gods as possible and giving yourself up and sacrificing to them in the hope that they might bless you and reward you and control and shape your future. Now, interestingly, our world hasn't gotten a lot further than that, I don't think, uh, in 2,000 years' worth of history. Uh, it seems to me that we still do the same thing. We just, we just do it slightly more surreptitiously. Uh, it led me to think uh, in this last week or so about the nature of education in our world and the idolatry of education. Why do so many people in our society sacrifice themselves and give themselves up to send their kids to those expensive private schools? Is it not an offering to the gods of education in the great hope that their future will be blessed? Isn't that what you're trying to do? You're trying to earn the blessing for their future. 
And actually what it leads to is people that get hopelessly angry and frustrated and disappointed when the schooling system doesn't provide or produce the outcome that they had desperately hoped that it would. In our hearts, idolatry is seeking after control of the world by giving to, sacrificing, dealing with in some way whatever day it is that we hope is there in order that we might get the rewards that are supposed to come our way. Paul says, concerning spiritual things, you need to understand that wired into your heart is this deep belief that you can control the future, that you can find the right God, that you can bless the right thing, that you can act in the right way in order to bring an outcome that you can have some control over. And Paul says, because that's who you are, and because that's in your heart, and because that's where you've come from, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see, what is the Spirit's work? He turns us away from all of the folly of idolatry, of worshipping and bowing down and giving ourselves up and trying to do enough in order to curry and earn and win the favour of the gods, by God saying to you, I've already shown favour to you in the death and resurrection of my son. And in fact, what happens when someone comes to cry out that Jesus is Lord, Paul says, well, there is the deep work of God's Holy Spirit. If you look around the room at your brothers and sisters who name Christ as King, they can only do that because the powerful spirit of the living God is at work in them. The only way that anyone can come to call Jesus Lord of all is by the powerful work of the Spirit in them. But what does that mean? It means our, tra- our worldview is transformed. I know the one through whom all things were created and for whom everything existed and has its being. I know the God from whom every planet was made and every molecule and every flower every song, every wonder of science, the secret things, the, the declared things, the big things, the small things, every single one of them comes from the hand of the God whom I now know and call Lord because he has chosen to set his spirit in my heart. Is that not a remarkably ridiculous privilege that you can call him Father? and that you know his son as Lord, and that his spirit dwells in you and adopts you and makes you his child. There are not many gods whom you have to appease, but one God who owns everything and who owns you and who already has your future in his hand and wants what is best for you. And so when you look on at your brothers and sisters around college, whoever they are and whatever they do, when you see them living their lives for the Lord Jesus, there you see God at work. When you see them naming Christ as king and living for him and pouring themselves out for the glory of his kingdom and the progress of his gospel, there are people in whom you can delight that God's spirit is at work. So as you start to think about spirituality and you think about what you long for and what you think spirituality looks like, do you realise that the most earth-shatteringly, singly biggest thing that someone can possibly say is Jesus Christ is Lord and mean it? Verse 
That is the most remarkable spiritual thing that ever happens anywhere. Because we live in a world led astray to idolatry and it is only by the power of God's spirit at work in someone that they can name Jesus Christ as king. What do you pray for for yourself? What do you pray for for your brothers and sisters? What do you long for? What do you want God to give you? What do you long to be able to do in the world? Do you long to love and live for Christ? Do you pray for your brothers and sisters that they will obey him as their Lord? Paul says, do you want to be free from the ignorance that is bred by being led astray after idolatry? Understand that the great work of the Spirit is that you would call Jesus Christ your King. And what a joy and privilege that is. But for Paul in this context, as he brings it home for the reality of the Corinthians' experience, he wants to say to them in particular that there are a bunch of things that they've experienced and that they do and that they experience in relationship with each other, all of which come from this one God, the one God who is actually Father, Son and Holy Spirit, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says... The truly spiritual thing is that you name Jesus Christ as Lord and the one whom you name as Lord, who is actually the eternal God, the Son, who is part of the eternal God, who is Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, is the one God who is at work in absolutely every gift and activity and service that you see anybody around you perform anywhere. For Paul, giftedness is not just the domain of the Spirit, but it's the work of the Father the Son and the Spirit. And it's not just the capacities that we have to do things, but the activities that we perform, the services that we render, all of those things happen because God has empowered them in us. God has given us the strength and the capacity to do them. God has worked in us, in and through these things, so that the people around about us have been, well, blessed, hopefully, by our activity as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's the direct opposite of idolatry. You don't go chasing many gods in order to find the right one to hit the nail on the head. But you know the one true God who gives absolutely everything, which means that your gifts and the gifts of the person beside you and the gifts of the person who's sitting in the back corner of the room all belong to him and therefore have all been given for your good and yours have been given for their good. That's actually a transformative experience in terms of thinking about giftedness, isn't it? Your gifts are for my good. My gifts are for your good. For me to be jealous of your gifts is stupid. Like fundamentally, deeply stupid when you think about it. Because God's given them to you for me. And he's given me mine for you. And we're actually blessed by the whole community of God's people and not just by what I do and who I am and where I fit in the picking order of things. And so Paul says to them, it doesn't matter what happened, they've all been given by the one God. Verse 8 to 1 is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom. 
and to another the utterance of knowledge, to another by the, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, not just do these things come to us by the one God, but the ones that you have, you have because God has decided that they're the ones that you should have. He is the distributor and he distributes as he wills. Now, this list of gifts is actually exercises the commentators at great length about exactly what they are and what they mean. Um, most of them, this is the only time they incur in the entire New Testament. And you have a phrase like the utterance of wisdom or the utterance of knowledge. Um, I want to suggest to you, you don't know a whole lot about what they are. And it doesn't matter. Because Paul's point here is not so much about how spectacular they are, although I suspect given the kinds of things he's talking about, they're kind of the more spectacular, if I can put it, that kind of outlandish, spiritually kind of big gifts in that kind of extraordinary kind of a way. But the problem for us is that um, actually that's not what Paul's interested in. He's talking about it because it's what the Corinthians are interested in. But he's talking to them about those things because they have to realise that their emphasis is all in the wrong place. You see, it's interesting. If you didn't have Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 in your Bibles, how much would you know about many of these spectacular gifts? They actually occur incredibly rarely in the Scriptures. And Paul spends almost no time talking to the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Colossians or the Philippians. And Peter spends almost no time talking to the people of the diaspora about these things. And the people who actually have them are one of the most dysfunctional congregations in the New Testament. <laughs> but we need to be careful, don't we? Because the point is not so much that these things are necessarily bad. In fact, Paul says they're of God... But the problem for the Corinthians is that these are the things on which their pride is built. These are the things on which their value and significance has been weighed and rendered. And what Paul is trying to persuade them of is that these things that they think are so special about them are actually being used in such tragic ways because they fail to understand what it means to name Christ as Lord and to have the Spirit at work in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, even if you had the most spectacular set of gifts known to man, if you could do all of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ could do, if you could raise the dead and heal the sick, what would be more important than any of those things would be that you called God Father because you knew Jesus Christ as Lord, because his spirit dwelt in your heart and you knew that you had been blessed with those things for the glory of God and for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I want to finish by just inviting you to come back to where we started. Because I think college does feel like a scary place often. Because you look around and you see people who are spectacularly gifted. The foolishness of idolatry rushes to find a way to twist God's arm to give you the gifts that you see in others. 
Or alternatively, in your folly, you puff yourself up with the bloatedness of pride because you see your gifts and the gifts of others and you think that you're doing quite all right. Thank you very much. And what Paul wants us to know so desperately here and what he's going to, in fact, in some ways talk to us about for the next three chapters is that the gifts are this big (laughs) and Jesus is this big. And your sense of well-being or pride or importance is this big. And the significance of declaring Christ to the world and knowing God as your Father and possessing the Spirit is beyond all the bounds of any riches that you could enjoy. So if you ever feel about your giftedness like I did about my aunt's smoky desk organiser, I want to encourage you to repent. And if you ever look on and feel that little, that little, I know you won't say it out loud, but just inside, that knowledge that you're doing quite well and God's gifted you quite a lot, can I say, please repent. Because we get to call Jesus Christ Lord. And verse 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so our job is to delight in each other and to give thanks for each other and to cry out that Jesus is King. Let's pray. Father, we're so aware this morning as we hear these words uh, of the mess of idolatry that lies in our hearts. And Father, how much we long to be able to manipulate and twist and control and shape our futures and how we keep falling over and trying to see ourselves and our worth in terms of the gifts that we have been given. So Father, thank you that the Apostle Paul has reminded us this morning that you have reminded us in your scriptures that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Father, help us to give thanks to you each and every day for all that you have given us. Help us to use our gifts for the other and help us to delight in the gifts that you have given those around us. Thank you that you are generous and good. In Jesus' name. Amen.